All right, we are back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. We're kicking off a new season of Black Equity Podcast. And there is somebody I've been wanting to talk to for the last few weeks. The posts have been coming on IG, and I had to know who this person is. Daisha Cole is here on Black Equity. Welcome to Black Equity. How are you doing today? Good, good, very good. And thank you for inviting me. I appreciate appreciate the affirmation. This is the intention to, to mm. spark something, to spark conversation. So I'm grateful that it's having that effect. <laughs> yes, yes. You are definitely sparking conversation. Uh, for those who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your organization. Yes. So uh, my name is Aisha Cole. I'm a Florida girl born and raised. Um, okay. I uh, went to the University of Florida, then I went to Howard Law School, which is where the idea for a modern day constitutional convention was really birthed. Mm. I was um, in constitutional law class, just kind of questioning why decisions were being made the way they were being made. And my professor was kind of like, well, those were the justices at the time and those were their opinions. So mm. majority rules. And I was like, okay. So they're really just making it up. They can, they can say whatever they want. They can make it up and it can be whichever which way, which is crazy. But all the hullabaloo today about uh, Roe v. Wade and an alleged mm-hmm. decision about Roe v. Wade. We don't even right, know right. We'll get what into it, it will we'll really Yeah. So, so um, I kind of just found that nonsensical and then I went to um, study abroad in South Africa the reconstitution effort they had one of my book two of my professors were part of the reconstitution effort there so I really got to see the perspective of this is possible we can do this it might take time but if people see the reasons for it and they want to get behind it and we prepare for kind of the bigger parts of the picture to fall into place, then we'll be ready, you know, whenever the perfect moment aligns itself. So I started the human rights effort um, in order to cultivate not just that one project, but this entire idea around social evolution, because I found that the problem was really that from time to time, people change, cultures change, and the necessities of the societies they lived within had to change too. So even though right now what we put into the constitution may be one thing, 10 years from now, depending on what effect that has, there might be a necessity for new things to be prioritized. So that's the concept around social evolution, which is the premise that the human rights effort is birthed out of. Not just um, reacting, but being proactive in fortifying opportunities for humans to operate at their highest potential. Hmm. I love that. Okay, so you dropped a great intro. So now I gotta, I gotta take everything you said. We gotta, we gotta dissect, right? We gotta dissect. So before you get to Howard, before you get to school, did were you already thinking like let's go maybe to high school, middle school? You know, the, the coming of age years. Were you thinking about this at all, or was it just something you bumped into when once you got to uh, college? Well, in in middle school and high school, I was always interested or I was I was never a fan of authority, Mm. especially like when I looked at authority, it was always rooted in like 
the same concept of like, oh, this is how it's said to be done. So this is how it's done. Um, like in middle school, <laughs> so I wasn't necessarily thinking constitutional convention, but in middle school, I was always getting dress code, always mm -hmm. in the principal's office. <laughs> yep. In high school, uh, the same thing. Um, my principal send out because I just didn't want to be in class. So, you know, I'd be like, oh, I, I got to go to the bathroom. My principal sent out an email to all my teachers saying, don't let Daisha out of the bathroom, out of the classroom at all. And I was mm. like, so astonished. I was like, no, you, you really like, you really sent this mass email out. <laughs> so I like went to the doctor and got a doctor's note saying I could go whenever I wanted. Wow. Just because it's like, I love it. What is the, what is this about? What is this really about? Mm. And then I got to um, UF and um, I wanted to start this thing or I started this thing, this transfer student ambassadors program because I actually went to community college for two and a half years before I went to uh, university. Um, this transfer student ambassador program because you get there, you only have two years left and you have to make up you know, join clubs, get to know the campus, get familiarized with people. And so I wanted to create a pipeline for that. And the first year we did it and it was phenomenal. And then the second year administration just didn't want to support us anymore for no reason, but that they didn't have to, if they didn't want to, even though it was a program that was really bringing out the best in students. Mm. So, um, and even law school, my, my like passion, has always been for fashion. Like I love fashion. Uh, started a little eco-friendly clothing line for a bit. Um, but my parents were like, you're, you're gonna go to law school. After you go to law school, you can do whatever you want. And in law school, I just found uh, out how this kind of like distaste or mistrust in authority was translatable to this bigger issue rooted in our society mm. and I think it's hard to or it's difficult for me to live in America right now and not give recognition to all of the issues that are impermeated or that are permeating our ability to live wholesome lives on a day-to-day -day basis and instead of kind of saying Oh well, let's let's fix this thing here. Let's fix this thing here. I just found a passion for the Constitution and also contract law. Contract law I was a, a research assistant for my contracts professor as well, and and that's all the Constitution is. It's a contract between the people and those that we decide to allow to govern us on a day to day basis. Um, and I just thought it it makes sense, you know, like it, it makes sense to challenge this thing and um update it and not not challenge it because it's a good tool but realize that inherently it's it's a tool of self-governance and if that's true um it it's not reflective of the way that people would like to have themselves being governed today yes okay we're going to right. sometimes in. i can go on oh no this this is what black equity <laughs> podcast is for <laughs> so we can just dive in and allow it to flow. Okay, so, so, okay. There's somebody listening to this right now and they're saying, challenge 
the Constitution, I'm free. I I got all this money. I've done all this. This is a black person listening to this, by the way. I'm free. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I got the white picket fence. I've done it all. What is there to challenge? So when you were uh, coming across this information, what did you find that you could respond to them and say, no, we need to look at this at the bare minimum. We should be paying attention to this, this, and this. What did you find? I think it comes down to a certain level of awareness because essentially um, it's an exchange of freedom for comfort. Mm. And so I, I think that a lot of people feel comfortable in what is the status quo and that is completely understandable. But the, the truth is that um, this world that we live in, the only inevitable thing is change. And essentially, if we don't embrace that change, we're standing still in time. And so while it may be comfortable, you are inhibiting our ability to truly evolve as a, as a, as a species, but as a ecosystem not just humans but the animals the plants the earth all of the potential that's um planted or available to us you're you're diminishing our opportunity to really see the full potential in our lifetimes so people mm. will say oh i'm creating generational wealth so for my children and my children's children and things like that but the truth is that the opportunity is here and now, and it's a decision of whether I want to con continue to live in this state or com in this state of comfort, or if I'm willing to be a little bit uncomfortable um, in order to facilitate this completely new age and and have my hands on the building blocks of that new age. Um, it's tricky because these decisions you do have the free will to say okay I'm, I'm just going to maintain the status quo or i want to work towards a better day um it's really their decision so i think that i've also resonated a lot with the idea that the revolution will not be televised from the perspective that it really is a reckoning with one's own mind, one's own belief about um, not just themselves, but the bigger picture of it all. Mm. You know, you, you bring up a word that I've been studying a lot these last few months. I've been on a revolution binge, <laughs> so to say. I've been looking at anything with the word revolution in it that is that come up on internet searches and YouTube searches and all the other searches. I've been looking at finding little bits and pieces here and there, connecting dots that maybe aren't even there. Um, but one thing I'm finding about revolution, at least through the studies, is the same stuff they were talking about in the 60s and 70s. It's almost as if they just said it yesterday. There hasn't been any major, you know, sometimes when I, when I go back in history and look at things, I'd be like, oh man, I can't believe they lived like that. And they thought like that, right? But when you, whenever you look up the word revolution and listen to what people say, it's almost as if they are living in today's world and they almost are like predicting what we're walking in. When you think of revolution, what do you think? What comes to mind for you? 
Yeah, I only said the revolution will not be televised because that's the, the you know, that's the phrase. But mm-hmm. um, we we are focused on evolution. Mm. From my perspective, revolution is just like it says, it's a revolving door. Like it's, it's, it's not moving us forward. It's just perpetuating this cycle of the ups and downs within the context of the lives we've been living, as opposed to evolution being an opportunity to to experience new ups and downs within lives that we could be living. I feel like revolution is the wrong thing to focus on because words are impactful and the, the root of revolution is revolving. It's, it's recycling these same ideas, these same experiences, these same arguments and not really getting anywhere new. Um, we, use the term evolution because we don't want a revolving door. We don't want to see what's already been seen. We want things that are new, born out of collaboration, discussion, and compassion for the human species. Um, And I feel like that's a part of the reason why it's nerve wracking um, and sometimes difficult to explain because what I'm saying is let's do something that has not been done before with recognition for the idea that there's nothing new under the sun, right? But when's the last time collectively as a, a um, collectively, like all of us have come together in discussion regardless of what our inherent beliefs might be, but in pursuit of a future that's fair you know, a, an opportunity, a life where there's opportunity for your family, uh, a space and a society where you can truly be free and comfortable in the idea that there's respect for the next person and thus respect for you. Mm. You yeah. know, you said something that is the famous quote, the revolution will not be televised. Will the evolution be televised? I think that, well, okay, so a a couple things. I first think that the revolution is being televised from the perspective, like you said, we're recycling the same narratives, we're experiencing the same things. There's there's nothing new really happening. It's just Mm -hmm. recirculating. I think that the evolution, it'll be a little bit of both. Mm. It'll be a little bit of both um, because I feel like changing the world is um, bigger than any one person, any bigger than any few people. It's a it's a collection of different events that put us in a space where, if we're prepared, if we've been proactive, um, and if we're ready, there will be a time where it's undeniable what's happening, but there'll still have to be a transition into that new space. You know, like things are more like a wave, like they come in, they go out, some things do get left behind. And you know, like the new wave, there's portions of the old wave. It's, it. We, another thing that's important is, is patience too. A recognition and intention and a patience for what's coming. Mm. 
Earlier you mentioned South Africa. I'm going to ask you a question about that in one moment. But you just mentioned being fair and, and creating a, a more fair world. So naturally, I have to look at things from the other side and ask the question from this angle. What is currently unfair? I think the disinformation is unfair. I think the, the disinformation is unfair because we're confused or a lot of us are confused and you know a lot of us are confused about what potential we have what resources are available to us the capabilities of our vessels and the the limit the the limitless or the, the, the lack of limit, whatever, the, the, the fact that we are limitless in our ability. Um, so I, I, I don't think it makes sense to victimize ourselves, um, not to diminish, you know, the trauma and travesty that so many people have faced, but um, we've just been handed things that are extensions of this comfort that's kind of become um, kind of become just what is our daily life and the, the comforts just keep getting added on and those are the things that are accessible to us and so we relish in these in these false ideas of security um, and these false ideas of safety when if you if you look outside you can see that anything can happen at any moment and if that's true then why not be intentional be intentional about what we want those moments to look like even if they don't come out as we would expect we took you know we took that chance and now we can do better the next time, still working towards that goal. Earlier, we were talking about coming up in middle school and high school and the coming of age years. And I remember being around that age and thinking, you know, all this stuff about animal rights. Um, I don't know. It seemed like everybody had a right except for black folk. Mm -hmm. I just When I was younger, that's what my, my mind would just say. Well, damn, they got rights, they got rights, they got rights, they got rights. But damn, where, what about humans, right? What about Black folk? Where are they rights at? And so it brings me to this question here. We fast forward 20-something years later, and here we are now. Do Black folk have any rights in today's world? I think that we do have rights in a in a actual sense in a codified sense mm -hmm. but i think that the important thing about these social contracts like for me i don't inherently believe anything's right or wrong i don't i don't mm -hmm. there's no there's no there's no universally agreed upon authority 
you know, or yeah, I, I don't believe that there's anything that's inherently right or wrong. And so I think a part of the reason why these social contracts or these constitutions is are so important is because it gives the people that have decided to live in society amongst each other the, the ability to codify what they want their rights or wrongs to be. And so that being said, the context of those societies is relevant to interpreting what those rights or wrongs mean. In America, the context for the constitution in the 18th century was racist, slave owning, profiteering white men. Because of that context is one of the major reasons why we think the reconstitution, modern day constitutional convention is necessary because we are a completely new society in a cultural sense, in a demographic sense, um, and thus to have the context of hum humans, humans generally having certain rights and liberties be the the foundation of that it has to be a new document sorry i think i like it's a little bit confusing but um basically racist white men wrote the constitution as it was and so if we're interpreting it from that context then black people were not meant to have rights the way that our system has worked has provided you know opportunities from the legislative branch and the supreme court to extend those rights to the society as it expands but to have a true cultural shift there's a necessity for the people that have decided to be in society together to draft new ideas about what are the rights and wrongs and from this context they're bred so there's no confusion so there's no extension but that it's innate that's what I meant to say. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Now, earlier I promised I was gonna bring up South Africa. Oh, yeah. um, so you you traveled there, you say you did some studies in South Africa as well. Tell me about yeah. that experience. Um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a study abroad program that my constitutional law professor, he hosted. Um, there's a, we took comparative constitutional law. So we were comparing the South African constitution to the United States constitution. We took international human rights, which was kind of what opened my, my, my mind to the, the, the idea that um, human rights aren't innate. People are deciding like, oh, well, this, this should be a human right. This should be a human right. And there's a much longer list depending on where you go to find these answers. Um, and then he also offered a class in um, international business relations, I think. I didn't take that one. I wasn't interested in that, but. <laughs> um, and, then, and then while I was there, like I share my birthday with Nelson Mandela too. So. Wow there's a big part of me that just feels like when I, when I, I thought this was the right thing to do already. And then I just 
when I was in South Africa, I learned more about how this was what Nelson Mandela thought was the right thing to do. And so there's a, there's a part of that where I'm just like, yeah, I, I think this is the right thing for me. <laughs> I think this is the right thing for me. However, it's figured out there are a bunch of different reasons, but that's one of them, you know? Um, but that South Africa was, was, um, interesting. Um, not, I don't even know, like, kind of, it was weird because we were in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I think, I think they call it little Europe or little America of South Africa. So it's like, it, it wasn't too far off from like what you would normally see in America, except that, uh, people spoke a variety of languages. Um, and, um, where we were staying though, we saw a lot of the, um, I don't know if they called them ghettos. I'm pretty, I think they do though. I think, but every day when we were driving to school, we'd see like spams of just impoverished areas. And um, at that time there was conversations around in the South African constitution, there's a right to property, but how it's being translated or how it was being translated was um, essentially like taking property um, from white landowners and giving it to black landowners. And so there was this whole hullabaloo about that that was happening at the time. But yeah, I would say it was like low Europe, low Europe. <laughs> it wasn't too far off. Yeah, I, um, I've been looking at South Africa for a while. I haven't been there yet. Um, but there's a lot of similarities between the United States and South Africa for whatever reason. I haven't found why yeah i haven't found the thing yet that says oh that's why but like you said little europe which you know america europe south africa it all kind (laughs) of so yeah we'll figure it out but where else uh, have you been other places in africa no i haven't been to africa yet that is my next my next tour around the world cool in africa so i'm looking forward to it nice yeah um okay so there's this this uh, video that we shared on Black Equity Network uh, Instagram uh, that features you, and you're talking <laughs> about uh, money. Oh yeah. It, it it caused an uproar um, because you are challenging this idea. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll just set it up a little bit here. But please correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> You're, it appeared that you were challenging this idea that you need money in order to um, not necessarily fix the world, but to uh, improve the world. But then you, your video took a different turn, which I really enjoyed, which is why we shared it. You're saying, well, actually, money is being used to destroy society in some ways. Hopefully I said that correctly. What was your intentions with that video? And what are your thoughts now that it's out there for the public to see? I feel like a lot of people are stuck where they are because they're trying to collect money. They're trying to collect money so that they can sustain their livelihood. And I was definitely in that place too. Um, But it is a leap of faith. Uh, but I wanted to create this awareness around 
one, there are still going to be resources available to you if you don't have money. And two, a lot of what, like, exactly like you, like you said, um, money has led to the destruction of our habitat and um, the destruction of our valuation on human life. And so when you look at those two factors, I feel like it, it creates or it sparks this question of, okay, so how does money really serve me? And I just, I'm trying to make content now and I want to create space now that makes people feel safe enough to drop their corporate job with, with no next, you know, no idea what's next, just, just drop the corporate job. And so that was like, kind of what I was, that's what I was trying to say. Like, you, you don't really need it. You know, you can find resources other ways, especially if we drop it collectively. And then also it's a really, it's a, it's a tool for destruction. Um, and that's what I try to do with most of my videos is kind of like simplify things that, that other people, commentators, politicians and stuff can really make into like these complex, complex issues. Um, when things are very simple, they're just so much disinformation for so long that, that people are scared to make that change. Well, you said something earlier. I, I keep looking over to the side because I'm taking all these notes on everything you say. <laughs> um, they won't be used against you. I just have to have them for <laughs> the flow of the conversation. I promise. Okay. Um, the key word I have underlined is disinformation. When I asked you, you know, hey, what's unfair, right? And you said disinformation. I think that's a brilliant answer because a lot of people will point at all this other stuff that is a cause of disinformation, but you mm -hmm. really got to the root of it. There's this, there's this clip going around on Twitter. I just shared it. And I can't remember what movie it is. It does have the white bald head dude from X-Men, uh, the actor, but I don't remember if it was actually X-Men, but he's on, he's walking on his roof and this dude says, why are you acting like we're at war? And he said, yo, don't you know, we're in the middle of a world war and the, the true weapon is disinformation. Who, whoever holds the information rules the world. And then the clip goes off. It's like a 30 second clip. And so as you, and then, because I just watched that clip this morning and then we're talking. And then you mentioned Nelson Mandela and your birthday. Yesterday, I watched a movie called Silverton Siege mm. on Netflix. And this, this movie. The good one? Well, my favorite type of movie are heist movies. Okay. okay. And so. It comes on like it's a heist movie. Well, the trailer, it made me want to watch it. So I thought they were about to rob the bank. And I'm like, yes, a, a heist movie. I'm all in. And then towards the end of the trailer, he says, we don't want your money. We're here to bail out Nelson Mandela. And I said, wait. So they're, they're sticking up the bank. So then Nelson Mandela gets out. And they're saying this is based off of actual events, the mm -hmm. movie. 
And I saw, I found that fascinating that you mentioned Nelson Mandela, you mentioned the, the uh, misinformation, all these things that I'm currently in frequency mm. with, which makes perfect sense because now you and I are in frequency. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I say this, if disinformation is the, the, the main thing, how do we get to the real information? Where do we go? How do we get access to this information that has been distorted in some way? And, and when you were talking, right, a, a lot of our issues are disinformation. Um, somebody asked me, um, I sat down with somebody else last week and they asked me, what is the, what do you think is the biggest hurdle between the world as it is and changing the world and I said honesty Mm. because I think that right they might be feeding us disinformation but on a very basic level we feel what's wrong right when you put bad things into your body you feel what's wrong when you sit in a corporate office from nine to five five out of seven days of your week, you feel what's wrong. When, when you're at home and you do, don't really want to go out, but you want to feel better, you go out and you hang out with your friends and then you go home in the morning and you feel what's wrong. That same feeling that was sitting in you before you left. So I think that people, if they're honest with themselves, the disinformation really can't affect them in the way that we've been allowing it to affect us. Because, you know, when the, when the politicians stand up and say what they say, you feel that something's wrong. And I, I wrote this down. I meant to, it was like, um, I don't know where it is, but it's like, um, don't, don't, don't not do not don't not make change in the world because you don't feel like you can something I can't remember but the thing is that we're what's right if we're true to ourselves we're what's right in this world if Mm. we're authentic with ourselves then we bring out the balance and harmony that's inherent in life in the essence of life. Mm-hmm. But because one, we allow ourselves to absorb this disinformation and take it as truth, we enable or fuel those narratives. And I was watching something too, a TikTok, I think yesterday, and they broke down the word information. Mm. And basically, you know, you could say it's to inform. But you could also say, you know, break down the word in and formation, like get into formation. Mm. So depending on the information you're taking in, in your validating um, individually is going to put you into a certain bracket of formation towards a particular goal. And without an awareness around that, then you're kind of just walking blindly. But as soon as you start to be honest with yourself, it's like, oh, okay, okay. You know, that's why I, I stray away from victimization too or, or victim narratives because 
I think that everything is a choice. And I, I do think, I do think free will is a thing. And even if, even if it's against violence, even if it's against death, even whatever it's against, you have to be authentic because, and you know, maybe I'm talking too much. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just really hash it all out because I think that Deepak Chopra talks about how God is just um, nature's energetic impulse. Hmm. And when stuff is born or manifested into the material world, it's because nature had an energetic impulse around something that was necessary Mm. in order to maintain the balance of the essence of life. And as people, we too come from that same energetic impulse, which saw a necessity for something to maintain the balance for the essence of life. And if we're authentic, to that seed of creation within us, the world would be in balance. Hmm. Yeah. And Daisha, I wanted to address something. You're never talking too much when you're talking <laughs> to me. No, this is what we do. Even we after talk, we chop it up. <laughs> after I after I press stop and we ain't recording no more, I just talk, right? But then what I really like is we take those thoughts and the conversation and the flow. And then we do something about them. Yeah. What, I t- what I tell a lot of people that don't get it is this is not really just a podcast. This is just kind of a home base for us to have a, a, a safe place to talk. But then we bump into each other in real life. And there may be, like you said, you may be working on re- the, the reconstitution. And I may be in that room to help. Or I may be able to point you in the right direction. Or maybe I know nothing. And I can just watch. But yeah. This thing is bigger than just this conversation, but a lot of people don't get that. And what ends up happening is we have a conversation and then we never see them again. And I'm like, no, we got to keep this thing. If we're going to be on frequency, this thing is bigger than the the one hour that we sit down and talk with each other. This thing is a long term, especially when we're talking about freeing our people and human rights. That's a long term game. That's not something you can do in six months. Yeah. But people have to understand that you have to play long-term games with long-term people. Yeah. I was going to say this because you mentioned this and it's, it's too much in flow for me not to mention it. Mm. Earlier this week, I posted a video on my, my personal page, which many people don't follow me there. And then I also this morning posted the same video on Black Equity Network. Um, and it was about fashion. And you mentioned fashion earlier about your eco-friendly uh, fashion company. I had no idea this video basically outlines all the waste and the pollution that goes into the fashion industry, especially what they call fast fashion. And so I'm curious, now that I've seen that video, I had no idea that you and I would talk about this today. Why did you choose to do eco-friendly? A lot of people don't even know that is a that fashion isn't eco-friendly all the time. How did you know to do that? Um, so I just, well, one, yeah, fast fashion. I don't know when I found the fact, probably maybe when I was building the business, but I knew when I started, I always wanted to do eco-friendly, but, um, and it may be an old, um, 
it might be an old um, percentage now, but the fashion industry was like the second largest industrial polluter in the world. And so from that, and then the second thing was like, not only like, is it waste, but it's like, it lacks creativity. You're all wearing the same thing. Yeah. You're wearing the same thing. <laughs> and so I, I was all, always a thrifter, like an upcycler, just taking things and making them into my style. And so I wanted to create a brand that was, that were staple items in your closet that you could pair with other things, but that you would keep for a long time. And mm -hmm. if you didn't keep it, that it was biodegradable or that it was environmentally friendly, you know? Um, and that's just what I, that's what's all made sense to me. I never wanted to contribute to the like degradation of society. Mm. And um, so when I, whenever I was going to do something, I've always been like, okay, well, uh, even in law school, in law school was like, oh, this is just how things are. And I was like, but it doesn't make sense. So why mm. are we doing it like that? And administrator and administration hated me. <laughs> all the, all the people of authority hate me. <laughs> but I'm like, relate. it doesn't make sense. It doesn't yeah. make sense. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your position. But th if this is the role you play, then what are you going to do to make it better? It mm. doesn't make sense to keep doing things the same way just because that's how they've been done. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't know. It would, it was just something that I knew. It's just something that's been in, in it may be intuitive, I would say um because nobody ever had to tell me that you know you just came out as a as a kid questioning all authority and anything that didn't make sense uh, questioning all authority but also i don't know have you heard about human design yes i have I'm yeah a, oh so do you know yeah i'm a generator oh cool okay yes, so i'm a projector okay so i like I'm a projector and my incarnation cross is basically you need to present questions to the public so that they can determine if the shit they're doing makes sense. Mm, gotcha. <laughs> and I was already doing it. And then I found out what my human design was. And I was like, oh, and it allowed me to hone my skill. It allowed okay. me to sharpen what it was that I was meant to do. Um, and then also I, I, I only have, I have a defined ajna and i have a defined throat um mm -hmm. center um and my my authority is no authority so what i'm supposed mm. to do is take the information presented to me in real time think about it in my own way and then make it palatable um make not make it palatable but simplify the ideas mm -hmm. so that people have a closer proximity to understanding how they work to enable it and how they could work to disable it. Mm. I love human design. <laughs> I love, you know, I found out about it about a year ago and I just nonstop start studying it. And I said, Oh shoot, this is where I've been making all my mistakes because it took it for a generator. It's saying, yo, 
you shouldn't um oh you're 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 in your flow when you wait you wait to respond mm-hmm. and i said oh that's my whole problem my whole life i've been just doing whatever the fuck i want to do and <laughs> not waiting and now that i've been sitting back waiting it all just comes to me and i'm like yes yeah and like i just uh i just wait now and mm. people be like yo why don't you do this why don't you do that I'm like no i'm waiting and then the thing that I need to show up, you know, actually this conversation, right? Yeah. Because if I went out and looked for human uh, human uh, rights person, it probably just wouldn't flow right. Yeah. It might be someone who just doesn't have the same flow as me. Yeah. But then you show up, I waited, and here we are. But it took me a while to have the discipline to wait. And I don't think a lot of people have that discipline, but I'm learning. But yeah, human design is dope. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if it's really rooted in anything real, but it, it's making sense to me. It, right. <laughs> no, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe anything so much so that I could never not believe it, but right, right. it's sensible. It's definitely adding up. It's working so far. Um, okay. So I know we have to go soon, um, uh-huh. but there's something that just happened to happen to happen. At the exact same time that we're recording, there's this uh, Roe Ro v. Wade situation going on. Yeah. Do you want to comment on it or is it too early? Do you have any comments around it at all or should we wait until more information comes out? Well, I, and, and that's what I'll say, right? I mean, I can comment on the on the alleged draft, which okay. is like, when when has that ever been a thing that SCOTUS drafts are just popping out? First right. of all, it's kind of weird. Question it, question it. That's a big question mark. <laughs> but um, a big reason why I got so into this in law school was actually the Supreme Court decisions and reading uh, decisions being overturned and reading the articulation. Um, how how the justices would articulate their opinions, mm-hmm. and it's all just based on who's on the court Mm. there it's an it's an elite group of people that have not lived lives comparable to everyday americans um that decide the supreme law of the land based purely on their own perspective and opinions Mm. oh we're supposed to be you know um they they don't they don't have to listen to what the american people want and i mean that's the nature of it because it's supposed to decide the constitutionality like okay does does this um reflect our constitution or is it constitutional or unconstitutional so what what does that have to do with the american people but it really just makes continues to make the argument that if we want our society to be built out in a way that's reflective of the people that make it up then we have to play an active role in our governing because really the best means of governing is self-governing. But at the time, the 18th centuries, and somebody pointed this out to me yesterday when I was talking to them, nobody could, not a lot of people could read. There were only a few people that had, um, not only a few, but there, not everybody was going to school. So mm-hmm. it made sense to create a representative group to kind of say, hey, you know, I've studied these things, so it makes sense to move this way. Now we have access to any and all information. 
we have um, the ability to respond at the speed of light. You know, we have more of the tools we need to be closer to self-governance. And if we don't want to be in self-governance, then we need to, um, whether we do or we don't want to be in self-governance, we still need to recodify what are the foundational principles from which we want our nation to be built out from. And until we fix that structure, we're going to continue to see the London Bridge fall down with decisions like the overturning of Roe v. Wade and KCV Planned Parenthood and things like that. So I'm not at all surprised. I'm, I am purely in, in my proactive, prepared and patient. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for when it all does fall down. Um, and I think that however the decision comes out, if the alleged draft becomes the final draft, people are pissed off and talking about taking to the streets and stuff like that. And, you know, who, who knows how long it will last, but this is just one more domino falling down so that the effect can really be felt across the nation and people can be riled into this, however long the galvanization takes for us to really transform into a new society. Who knows which way it will go, but I'm prepping for a better and not a worse. I'm going to ask this, and it may not, you may not have the answer, and that's okay. Is, where we are today, especially with this news coming out of Roe v. Wade, it's all over my social media. I haven't commented on it yet because I don't know enough, and I really don't know if it's even my place to comment. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it, was this inevitable or is it because there's someone like a Biden in office or does those two things got nothing to do with each other? I think that, I don't know if Roe v. Wade specifically being overturned was inevitable, but I think that, um, the reflection of our government being so disconnected from our people was inevitable. Mm. Um, and that the kind of crashing down of that entity of the government is inevitable uh, because of that, because of this disconnect. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Okay. So everybody's listening They're, I'm sure by now they understand your viewpoint. They understand where you're coming from. They have a little bit of your origin story. How do people partner with you? How do they collaborate with you? How do they assist you? What are the ways that people can uh, work with you moving forward? Um, I think that right now what we're doing is trying to get um, our proposed amendment on the floor. So a, a couple of things. First, uh, we have a petition and people are like, oh, what are the petition for? The petition is just to point to an identifiable community to say these people agree that there should be a modern day constitutional convention. Um, so signing on to that makes you a part of the identifiable community. Um, and then the second thing we're doing is trying to get our proposed amendment 
on the floor of Congress. Um, so on our website, we have on, on the link tree, we have um, action items, call and email Congress. And if you go there, it has a list of the members we're targeting, their phone numbers and their staff emails. Also like a, a script for the call and a script for the email um, that you can send out um, in order to get them to reach out to us so that we can talk more about what it is that we're trying to do. Um, but it's, it's a little bit funky because it's a grassroots movement. So right now we're, we're trying to grow, we're trying to share the message and we're trying to create a community around this concept about bringing a modern day constitutional convention together. Um, it doesn't take too much um, mm. in this phase. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. I would say signing our petition. I would say doing the action items. And then you can reach out to us directly at the human rights effort at gmail.com um, to, to see. Because the other thing is that we're trying to be facilitators of this modern day constitutional convention. So we are as much as possible remaining neutral on a lot of issues because the whole point is that, yeah, we may not agree, but how can we collaborate and be compassionate towards one another so that we can come to um, some middle ground? Um, and because of that, it's a little bit difficult for us to collab with different groups, but we we're open to hearing about opportunities and figuring out if it does fit or if we can be helpful for those groups in different ways. So it's a little amorphous right now, I would say, but just reach out, you know, just, just, just reach out. Um, and then one day it will hit and it, it won't be on any one person. It, it won't be on the leadership team. It will be the people's movement. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of just pushing it as a solution. Like here's something that could work. If the people, if you guys want to do it, here's something that could work, you know, at, as it's as it relates to our current project in the United States, um, but largely, right? We're we're um, focused on social evolution, so we're also really open and excited to hear about opportunities for social evolution um, in the international community, um, in different countries, and and see what people on the ground think and feel where they live in the society that they've decided to live within. Um, so. Yes. Yeah, so, and follow us on all the platforms and share our message. And um, yeah. <laughs> a, a global social evolution. That's I the goal. That. Yeah, that's the goal. My, my affirmation in the morning is to facilitate social evolution. Mm. That's what I want my life to be about. And I think it, it already is. I mean, you've, you're living it. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing. Um, but we're just getting started. So hopefully you and I, we stay connected yes. and we uh, work towards this mission. For me, I just want to, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, things are just not fair. You know, I just get, I got into this game because I wanted things to be fair. I saw people weren't playing the game right in many aspects, not just in government, but even in the podcast space, the wealth game, the, all these different, everybody was just, it was a free for all out here. And yeah. I said, can we play fairly? And so what, whatever we can do to play fairly, I'm all for. However that, that comes about. Um, right. 
so yeah i appreciate the work that you're doing yeah you too thank you for bringing me on i'm i'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak my throat chakra you know she's she's had a good day so <laughs> well whenever throat chakra wants to come back and be on black equity podcast we would love to have you um daisha thank you so much for being on black equity we'll talk to you soon yes <laughs>